Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. The question is, um, there are many questions. They're all to do with people looking to resolve pain um, and asking questions on how can we resolve pain if we've been hurt. And I wanted to broach the uh, controversial topic, controversial in this area of the internet, that is forgiveness. Um, people get, I've seen people in the past, certainly get very, very touchy about the subject of forgiveness. If you suggest um, forgiveness for um, an abuser. So before I get into these questions, I'm just going to talk to you for 60 seconds about forgiveness. Forgiveness does not mean that you are saying that what the person did was okay. Forgiveness does not mean that you are saying that it didn't happen. Forgiveness does not mean that you're letting anybody get away with anything. Forgiveness is something that you, you don't do it codependently. You don't do it as a gesture of submission or fawning to the other. You do it in your recovery process as one of the first symbolic gestures towards you reclaiming your own personal uh, sovereignty and agency. This is self-interested action to forgive. It's so that you don't have to carry it anymore. And these tend to be in the field of religious questions, and that can get very tricky very quickly for people. So let's talk about this philosophically. I've told you why you must forgive, how to forgive. You must forgive because you'll never heal. You'll never heal. You'll never heal holding hate. When you hold hate and you hold anger and you hold aggression and you hold bitterness, that person is still possessing you in a, a woo sense, in a mystical sense. The wound is still possessed. You'll never heal while you hate. You'll never heal while you're wishing somebody else ill. It won't happen, can't happen. And if you do wanna heal, you have to find a way to forgive them. Now, what does forgiveness mean in this context? If we do it non-religious, non-spiritual, purely philosophically. I think forgiveness in the broadest, most neutral sense, and we want to be broad here because you must make global shifts in your map of reality if you really want to heal and move on with your life. For some people, there are people metaphorically in cyberspace sat to the left of you and sat to the right of you, and they're chanting alongside you, and they're all for this and they're all for that, and you think they're just like you. But for some people, this is a hobby. This is a, a full-time thing that they do online. So be careful. You don't know them. You don't know somebody by their avatar and a few sentences they write online. For some people, this is a hobby. For some people, this is an authentic obsession. And it's a mental health issue. They're addicted to consuming material about narcissistic abuse online. And they're addicted to playing Stone the Witch online. They're addicted to scapegoating narcissist online. It's actually part of their own personality disorder, um, ego functioning. They're trying to regulate their own ego functioning. They're trying to regulate ego dystonic feelings of damaged self-esteem. So be careful and be careful that that's not you. Do you want to get on with your life? Do you want to love again? Do you want to live? Do you want to be an adult? You must forgive.
So in the broadest sense, forgiveness is total and absolute acceptance for everything that happened. Total. For everything. All of it. Forgiveness is total acceptance that it did happen. No more denial. It happened. It was real. Who's to accept it? The police? The court? Your family? The abuser? No. You. You. Some people will find this hashtag triggering. Another one of those phrases I'm not particularly keen on because it externalizes the locus of control and keeps us infantilized and keeps keeps us as toxic, toxically passive victims, receptacles, wank socks for abuse and the culture that goes with it. It's only you. This is the challenge that we're all facing right now with the situation we're in right now. And if you want a mantra, if you want a, a mantra for your uh, uh, sovereignty so that you can reclaim your crown, your halo, your spiritual standing, your corona, you say, I am me and I am only me. I am me, I am only me. It's my body, it's my brain, it's my life, it's my time, it's my heart. If my heart is filled with hatred and rage all day, that is not a day well spent. If you're ready to move on, you've got to accept that it happened without denial, without prevarication, without layering stories on it. And then if you are brave enough, and the question at this point, ladies and gentlemen, for all of us, whether we're discussing narcissistic abuse or things beyond this, is now simply and only one question. Are you courageous enough to deal with the challenge in front of you? Or will you run from it? Do you have the courage to deal with it or don't you? Can you face it with courage like an adult or can you not? Forgiveness then in the context of narcissistic abuse, childhood abuse, sexual abuse, violent, domestic violence, whatever it is, is total acceptance that it happened. Total acceptance that a person could do that, did do that, and it happened. You would need to be looking at a total acceptance that things like this can happen in the world. It's a broadening of your philosophical map. This happens in the world. What are you going to do with that? You say, well, I'm going to become twisted. I'm going to become bitter. I'm going to become infantile. I'm going to spend the rest of my days whining loudly and spreading my negativity to everybody, everybody around me and poisoning the well. And I would say, well done. You, they win. They really win then, don't they? They really win. They infected you with their poison and you went ahead and spread it on, which is exactly what they wanted. That's exactly the agenda that's at play. Take all of the good ones, cut them, poison them with the cut, poison them, and then have them spread that poison on. And when you do that and you succumb to it and you're not courageous, you fail the test and then you pass it on. It's a disease. It's a disease of cowardice. We have all abrogated our responsibility, ladies and gentlemen. We are abrogating our responsibilities every day. And we're being asked to take up the mantle again with courage and reclaim our sovereignty, our agency. But it's just you. It's you with you versus you about you. And you go, that's narcissism. And I'd say, no, that's reality. That's reality. You want to make it about them. You want to make it about him. You want to make it about her. And you know in your heart what I'm saying is true. 
It's just you. It's you with you. Can you forgive yourself? Can you let this go? It becomes a bad habit after a while. It becomes an addiction. And there's pleasure in it. There is in every addictive cycle. There's no such thing as an, addict, an addictive cycle that doesn't function, that is completely devoid of pleasure. It ceases to be an addictive cycle. It crumbles. One way of crumbling addictive cycles is to remove the pleasurable reward system component of it. So you must watch for that and be self-disciplined. And then it's time to forgive. And forgiveness means you have to accept it all. You accept what you did, what you didn't do. You should have protected yourself. If you could have protected yourself, you should have protected yourself. So you feel guilty about it. Okay, I feel guilty about it. You forgive. I couldn't protect myself. I was too young. I was too small. Why was I so small? I'm angry that I was so small. Well, you were. And that's what it was. Forgive yourself. Just accept it. Accept every single part of it. Be courageous and you can move forward. Without that, you're going to be stuck in hell. The old samurai poem that I've quoted before, I'll quote it again, translated into English. Hell gapes beneath the upraised sword. Step in and heaven is your reward. If we turn our backs again, if we leave it somebody else again, we remain in hell. We remain locked in hell. If we're courageous, we can claim the halo. We can claim the crown. We can claim our sovereignty. That's the test. It's very simple. Do you want your halo or not? Or will you succumb to the virus of fear? Will you succumb to the virus of hatred and spite and bitterness and being stuck in the past, possessed by somebody or something that has already moved on to somebody else? It's time to move on, ladies and gents. And that means you must forgive. And forgiveness means total acceptance. And you're going to have to grow the fuck up. You're going to have to stop playing the fuck around. Because when you're playing, you're playing too much. You're acting like this is a game. You kick me like I'm a Coke machine sometimes. Some of you, some of you, mostly not, but some of you. You kick me like I'm a Coke machine in frustration. Give me the answer I really want. Not that answer, give me another one. I'm not a Coke machine. And I don't respond to being kicked. I can't save you. Nobody can. Nobody can. It's you with you with you with you. The one phrase that you want to be holding on to is, I am me. It's my body. It's my brain. It's my time. It's my heart. Nobody's coming to save me. Big brother's not coming. Big brother's not coming. Big sister's not coming. Mummy, daddy, they're not coming. The old Jewish gods, the old Greek gods, the old Egyptian gods, they're long dead. They're not coming. Nobody's coming. This is it. This is our moment. It's just us. It's just us. To the questions, given the context I've just given you. How do you deal with feelings of hatred, rage, and revenge towards a toxic person who is no longer in your life? Well, dealing with uncomfortable feelings is a skill. It requires courage and it requires maturity. And you'll need to develop the skill of emotional literacy. And you'll need to stop repressing and suppressing your emotions. And you'll have to accept them, even the ugly ones. Even the ones that you don't like, even the ones that you think are outside of your self-image. And you're going to have to start reframing them, not as some 
toxic bile that comes up, but as a message from the unconscious. What is the message telling you? If we accept, or we can not accept, if we can play with the idea philosophically that emotions are messengers with a positive intent, what would the positive intent of rage be? What would the positive intent of hatred be? Everybody sat there going, I don't know. Yeah, because you won't do the emotional literacy work. Even though I've asked and asked and asked and I have guided you by the hand step by step and some of you still won't do it. You still won't do it. You won't sit for five minutes and take out a pen and a piece of paper and write down your own fucking emotions on a piece of paper. Today I felt you won't do it because you're terrified. Okay, so let's start there. What's the problem here? I'm, I'm clogged up with feelings of hatred and bitterness and rage. I disagree that that's the problem. I say your problem is, is that you're terrified of your own feelings and you need to get to grips with them. What you resist persists, you're pushing it back. You're pushing back bitterness, hatred, rage. Invite it in. My God, these emotions have been keeping us alive. They've kept our forefathers alive. That's why we're here. It wasn't all fucking puppy dogs and rainbows. We have fought through our bloodlines to be here fought tooth and nail, endured incredible suffering and pain to be here. That's your genetic bloodline. That's who you are. All the weak ones are dead. They didn't, they didn't, they didn't uh, procreate. They didn't reproduce. They didn't replicate. They're gone. There's, there's me and there's you. All right. So where does hatred and rage come into that? Well, if at four o'clock in the morning, I'm chilling with my tribe and another tribe comes I better have the willingness to get up and pick up a rock and start smashing in some skulls, yeah? Oh, I don't like that. That's Oh, it's violence. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, but you live inside of a complex on a high wall guarded by men who keep the fucking demons of the night out. But you don't want to look at that either. So I'm sat here going, what do you fuckers want to look at? What do you want to look at? You're entirely reliant on violence but we can't talk violence. I don't know. Oh, it's icky. Well, that's how you live. That's how I live. People are out there right now slitting throats in my name, under my flag. What about yours? Hatred, rage, bitterness. They got us where we are today. Okay, thank you. Thank you, hatred, for allowing me to club my enemies to death in previous lifetimes. Thank you. Yeah, it doesn't look good on an Instagram profile picture. Yeah, it doesn't go over well on some fucking cutesy Facebook post, but that is the reality of who you are and what you are. Accept it or don't. Have the courage to accept reality or don't. I'm not actually on team human right now. I'm not on team human. I'm on team detachment. Whatever will be, will be. I'm not driving myself crazy hoping we pull through. I see it for what it is. It's a test. Pass or fail. I did my part. <laughs> Ladies and gents, I did my part. I've been at this for 10 years. I did my part. What did you do? So hatred and rage, that's part of you. If you fear them, they will possess you and they will haunt you. If you invite them in and you talk to them and you accept them and you say thank you, hatred, Thank you, rage. Thank you, the desire for vengeance. You got me here. 
Now, is it time to evolve? Do we still need to smash in skulls? What do you, what do you think, boys and girls? Philosophical question. The personal is political, the political is personal. Do we still need to smash in people's skulls? Yes or no? It's real fucking simple. It's just simple stuff. It's not, oh, it's too hard. It's politics. No, no, no. I'm asking it real simple. Do we still need smashing skulls? Yes or no? Are we devoid of responsibility if we're in a system that relies on hatred and rage and vengeance? Are we devoid of responsibility or are we partly responsible? These are just philosophical questions. Accept the emotion. Accept who you are and what you are. Accept the privilege with which you live. Accept the mistakes that you made. Accept that you still have life. You can still breathe. You still have air in your lungs, or at least some of us do. The uninfected do. Interesting that it attacks the lungs, no? Interesting that it reminds you of the privilege of being able to breathe. Because you're alive. So you can breathe. I say it as a gift. I say it as a gift. That's absolutely a gift. And we'll either respond to it as a gift and say thank you, or we'll deal with it the other way. How do you forgive yourself after falling for hoovers and giving the narcissist second chances? Human beings make mistakes in life. You usually know what it is that you needed to know right after it was that you needed to know it, right? That seems to be how wisdom works. It's part of this weird simulation that we're in. <laughs> it clearly has a funky sense of humor. You'll know what you needed to know right after you needed to know it. And then you go, ow, that hurts. So you're a human. You didn't know. And now you do. Why complicate it? Why complicate it? It was a mess. So you say it was a mess. The whole thing was a mess. What a mess. I fucked up. This person was a real piece of shit. I should have got rid of them quickly. You didn't know. If you did, you wouldn't have done it, right? There you go. So you just accept that you didn't know you're fallible. How did you deal with the loneliness, isolation, and cognitive dissonance of knowing that your partner, romantic, was emotionally and psychologically abusive whilst the outside world they were respected? Probably the hardest thing in, uh, in, in my process, and I went through it twice because I'm stubborn and uh, I learned the hard way, um, was the, the fact that other people responded the way that they did and stubbornly refused to listen to me and stubbornly refused to see the signs that the person wasn't clearly what they were. There is a certain privileged position that uh, beautiful, sexually desirable girls enjoy in society. It's sacrosanct, you, you know, I don't barely even talk about it. It's such a taboo, but they are treated differently. All attractive people are treated differently. Sexually attractive people have good DNA. People want to breed with them. People want to fuck them. They go up the status hierarchy. Women more so than men because women have higher value than men. Men can take life and become murderers and soldiers, but women can give life. So they enjoy uh, a higher level of privilege. And I saw that and it was hard. But I acclimatized it. I accepted it. I forgave the people who were playing into their games, forgave them by accepting them, 
by accepting what it is. And I was like, it was not, it's not even personal. It's not even a personal thing. It just, it just happens to be that way. You know, this is how it goes. People aren't personally trying to make your life harder by not empathizing with the pain that you're in after a narcissistic abusive relationship. How do I deal with people who don't want to understand that change is happening now will and should have a long lasting effect on our lives? And all they care about is getting back to normality. Um, how do I deal with people who don't, they don't want to understand? Uh, probably the best way to deal with this is just like through the feedback loop, like you're telling me that they don't want to understand. Um, and then you're saying the change is happening now, will and should have a long lasting effect in our lives. And all they care about is getting back to normality. Well, they don't want to understand. So how should you deal with them? It's not your responsibility to teach people how to live or what to think. And even if it was, how the hell would you do it? Even, even the people who we pay to do that struggle to do it. So I wouldn't worry about it too much. Everybody's free to think and believe whatever they want, right? So don't be attached to the idea that you've got to convince people that um, they need to see the world as you see it. They don't need to see the world as you see it. They can see it however the hell they want. I hope that they do. I hope that they see it all the way, the way they want to see it. What is the role or use of situationally correct anger in the healing process? Um, anger is uh, a beautiful emotion. It's like laughter or lost or any of the emotions. It serves a purpose. It serves you. It serves me. If it is not neurotic, if it's an emotional flashback and it's rooted in neurosis, it's not so good, which is why we do our emotional literacy and we learn to accept our feelings all of them, so that we know when a feeling is authentic and when it's just a neurotic flashback to trauma in the past. Anger, anger is compelling. I just got angry and people will find it compelling. They'll find it motivating. They'll find it inspiring and people will make changes because of the feeling, you know, your state transmits. So if I'm passive and quiet and patient that will have one effect and if i'm angry and fiery that will have a different effect so anger can inspire anger can motivate us to break through barriers that we previously thought we couldn't break through and we are approaching a time where we will be invited to become angry and we might not we might flop like a limp penis a limp dribbly penis back down into unusefulness and I would say, fine, that's where we're at right now. Give it another 20,000 years, 30,000 years. We obviously need to evolve a little bit more. Or, or we will respond with appropriate, as you put it, situationally correct anger. And we'll make the necessary changes and we'll break the boundaries that we weren't supposed to break before, but that now have become necessary. It's up to people in it what they want to do. I'm not everybody, I'm just me, and I'm responsible for me, and I've done my bet, and I'm doing my bet, and that's it.
Is there a way you can recommend breaking off relationships like this with a parent? Oh, this person's stuck uh, with, with the mum. My fear is destroying her, but I'm aware that with her in my life, she has been destroying me. So when we live in a toxically passive culture, when we are wank socks for culture, um, all of us are, all of us are, because we've all been watching TV since we were kids. Everyone, everyone watching this has been watching a kid, has been watching TV since they were kids, including me. So you're a wank sock for culture. What you're used to is being a passive receptacle for somebody else's steamy satanic goo. And um, you think that's normal, but it's not normal. It's actually not normal at all. But when we get passive, we get depressed. When we get passive, because we can't activate anger, we get cranky. So instead of anger, which is transformative, breaks bonds, breaks boundaries and emancipates, we have crankiness. And then we engage in petty disputes, petty territorial disputes over nothing. Things like pronouns. Too many people arguing about pronouns right now, you'll notice. That's funny, isn't it? Isn't that strange? That's gone. Where's it gone? Where's it fucking gone? So, yeah, your unwillingness to feel anger is a problem, my friend. But it's worse than that because you're talking about your mother and you're unwilling to feel anger towards your mother. But being um, more systemically factual in my words and being more nuanced and accurate, probably what I could say is you were trained to not feel, to not express, and then eventually through brainwashing to not feel any negative emotions towards mother. So you must fractionate your way into feeling negative emotions towards your mother. What you said is, um, is there a way you can recommend breaking off relationships like this with a parent? And what you meant was, is there a clean way I can do this where I don't feel guilty and mommy doesn't guilt trip me? No, there's no clean way of getting this one done. Um, the only thing that you can do, it won't be clean because she won't let it be clean. And probably you won't let it be clean like because you're trained into this. You can accept that it's going to be messy and you can accept that it's going to be necessary. Fractionate into, lean into negative feelings towards mother. Break that taboo. My fear, you said, is destroying her. And here we have clearly identified an infantile belief. You will not destroy her. You do not have that power. She's only convinced you that it will destroy her. That's all. That's all. And let's ask a philosophical question at this point. Is it okay to destroy your mother? Is it ever okay to destroy your mother? Is it ever okay to destroy your father? When would it be okay? Imagine somebody's kidnapped you, and it's like one of those creepy horror movies that were popular in the, the, late, the late 2008 to 2015 era. And it's, it's one of these rooms where they've kidnapped you, and they've set it up. So the only way that you can leave the room, you're chained to a wall, there's a key, you can unchain it, you can go to the door, you can unlock the door and you can leave and go and live a normal life. But they've set it up so that if you do that, they're literally killed. I don't know, some Edgar Allan Poe thing, like they're slashed with some huge pendulum. Whose responsibility is it? 
What are you going to do? That's actually a pretty fucking good question. What are you going to do? I'll tell you what I'd do. I'd SpongeBob it. I'm going to head out. Later. Oh, you set all this up like this. Well, that was silly. What, what do you want me to do? Do you want me to sit here with you in this crazy torture chamber that you designed and spent years creating? I'm not fucking doing that, you lunatic. What did you do that for? That was silly, wasn't it? Well, I'm leaving, and whatever the consequence of me leaving is, whatever you fucking designed it to be. Ta-ta, and off I'd go. But that's an interesting philosophical thing to do. That's a thought experiment. It's an interesting one. However, let's now consider on top of that that that's not the situation. It's not the situation at all. They would never put themselves in, in a scenario where if you left, it would, you know, a great pendulum would swing down Edgar Allan Poe style and chop the heads off. They'd never do that to themselves. They love themselves far too much. They're just guilt tripping your ass to think that that's what's going to happen. But it won't. It won't. It won't destroy her. It will upset her because it will create narcissistic injury if you individuate. Because your mother, this is a male questionnaire, is probably a fucking textbook borderline, malignant borderline. And she doesn't want her little boy, who's part of her, to leave her because she, she was going to experience that as, you know, the most devastating abandonment ever in her life. I am me. It is my body. It is my brain, it is my heart, and it is my time, and there are no fucking refunds. So you do what you want, my mate. You want to, because you're not even stuck in a dungeon that's real. You're stuck in a dungeon that was designed by an eight year old. That big pendulum that's supposed to come down and chop her head off is some old broom that might just clip her on the top of the noggin, which is probably a little clip she needs anyway. It's not real. You going and being a man. <gasps> on your own, <gasps> without her, <gasps> if it would kill her, then let her die. Let her die. Let all the old die. The world doesn't belong to the old. That's what being old is. Every year that passes, every minute that passes, the world is less and less yours. It doesn't belong to you. It belongs to the young belongs to the future, not to the past. But every year that passes in our culture, the old take more and more of that space. They take up a little bit more power, they take up a little bit more space, and they cause a little bit more trouble, don't they? So I say, if you're genuinely in a torture chamber that mummy created, where if you leave, she gets her head chopped off, then leave and let the old die, but don't worry, mate, you won't have to live with the trauma of that guilt. You're not in such a torture chamber. She's winding you up. And if you leave, she'll be hurt. <gasps> I hurt my mum's feelings. Well, welcome to adulthood. Welcome to being a man. What kind of a man isn't going to hurt his mother's feelings, isn't going to hurt his father's feelings? And if they're that hypersensitive, maybe they need some other fucking hobbies than controlling their children's lives. I don't know. Tell her to take a bridge or something. <laughs> Go play golf. <laughs> You're wasting my time. So you can't live your life being unwilling to hurt people. And 
obviously that was a very veiled reference to the coronavirus. This is another part of the coronavirus puzzle. We're going to have to be okay with old people dying, right? Like, and you say, and then people in the comments are like, it's not only killing old people. Okay, statistically, statistically, the overwhelming majority of people who at this point, as far as, as far as we trust the tests, if we can trust them at all, and we assume that people are being positively tested with COVID-19, not just the coronavirus, the overwhelming majority will be old. And yeah, sometimes young people die. Tragic things are happening all over the world every day. I don't know why we suddenly got so hypersensitive just because somebody said the word pandemic. All of a sudden, we're the kindest, most gentle people ever. You know, we're going to turn our world upside down. People die all the time. The vulnerable die. That's the, that's the world we live in. Now, as I said before, do we still need to live in a world that functions on smashing people's brains in if they don't do as they're told? Well, it's tricky when you've spent generations and siphoned money into training men, men like me, by the way, with a similar personality type to me, to do just that. And then you take over the world and you have huge standing armies that have the consumption of entire countries stood there doing nothing. It's pretty difficult to flip the switch and say, we don't need this anymore. Similarly, do we still need to live in a world where the old and vulnerable just are just dead and only the strong survive? Well, actually, let me flip that on its head. It wouldn't be old and young, would it? It would be rich versus poor. If you're rich, you're going to live at a certain level. And if you're poor, you're going to live at another level. It's not that split is not old and young. It's rich and poor. Do we still need that? Do we have to continue living like this? These are the important questions. But yeah, I'd say if you're really in a situation where your mother has set it up so that if you leave and go be a man, she dies. Bye, mum. Can't wait to see the comments I get back on this. It's going to be beautiful. You hate old people. You hate mothers. You hate women. You hate humans. You hate men who won't leave their mothers. You man shamed him. <laughs> Shut the fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> we've got bigger problems right now <laughs> okay thank you very much for your questions guys i'm now going to switch to the live chat i'm going to try and take people's questions in the live chat if it's um uh, 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 an essay i'm not i'm not going to read it um mary newton says i've had it richie shut the fuck up uh, it's worse than the flu. Yeah, my brother got it. I love you, but you don't know what you're saying. I forgive you. Okay. But seriously, if you want to know, ask me. Uh, Oleg says, hello, Oleg. I've witnessed a woman having a purse snatch from it and I froze, not knowing what should be done. How does one overcome the shame of not knowing what to do there? It's probably, um, there's a book out called Civilized to Death. Um, there is like a, a slow march in, in civilization towards a, a, a certain way of being. Um, and the more civilized we become and the more we deny our uh, true natures, the more repressed, the more constipated, the more cranky uh, and irrational. Emotional people can get. Um, so 
you know, overcoming that would be like a whole overhaul of the way you operate. And I don't know how deep it would need to go, mate. Everybody's different. I don't have a pat answer for you on that one, I'm afraid. It could be very, very difficult. It could mean you might need major therapeutic process to get you to the point where you would relive that scenario, see a woman's purse, purse getting snatched and do something or not do something. I don't know. I might take a look at that scenario. Like if I was in Malaysia and I saw two lads on a, a scooter and someone was getting a purse snatched, I might just let the purse go. Because if I if I go over and try and grab them, I'll probably get stabbed. I'm not getting stabbed over a purse. Yeah, it's a purse. It's a phone. Yeah. You know, I'd help her. I'd call the police, but I wouldn't be like, unhand that woman's purse, you scallywags. Let's go. It's only a purse. You can you get stabbed up real quick and and die real quick. Right on, Richard. I knew a woman in Coda who said her mom could guilt trip anyone. I told her, nope, I prefer to go against the guilt because it's just someone trying to manipulate me. Exactly. If you set there's a hard, hard boundary for not being manipulated, and you just go, I'm not going to be manipulated by anybody, then you can't really get guilt tripped. Mama Lama, Richard Granin, that's me. Isn't getting stuck on anger at your ex-narcissist a kind of not letting go of them so you can, not letting them go so you can heal? Yep, that is correct. That's exactly what it is. Uh, do you think, Harley says, do you think there's a rise in passive aggressive people? And how do I deal with them when I would rather be outwardly aggressive because it's more honest? What you've got is a rise in more narcissistic ways of interacting, uh, interrelation. Uh, interrelating has become more narcissistic in its style. And there is um, a type of narcissistic personality disorder that we probably should all be looking a little bit more at, which is negativistic, which means the person becomes passive aggressive. So they probably don't feel the best way of working their will is to be openly and outwardly aggressive. So they become passive aggressive. Passive aggression is a pain in the ass. It's, it's draining. Um, but yeah, there will be, we see that. I mean, I'm, I'm, to a degree, social media entrains people into thinking that it's okay, into just being obnoxious, being rude. Um, you know, that's that's part of our boundaries kind of dissolving in a way that's not so healthy. One two says, Richard Granham, was your experience with demons and gin in a psychedelic trip? Um, my specific experience with gin was in a um what you would call a vision um, and in dreams in Malaysia at a particular point in my life where I was working with a guy who was a Sufi mystic who was praying for me to fix my um, broken heart. And he was doing various pieces of work with me. So I had a lot of, in that period, I had a lot of uh, what you would just call mystical experiences. Um, uh, I did have psychedelic trips where I saw demons, but that was like 15, 15 years before when I was 18, 19 years old taking acid. Aisha says, can seeing an opposite sex therapist heal one's issues with the opposite sex parent? Uh, I, I, I wouldn't overemphasize that. You know, there are people who think that that's, that's a good thing to do. Like, you know, so you have a, a a man and he's had a bad mother and all the women in his life and all the women in his life up until that point were bad. Um, so he can have 
a positive relationship and nurturing relationship with a woman and a therapist and that's good for him uh, but i i personally don't think it's all that important getting a decent therapist is way more important is not this current situation a perfect opportunity to transcend old patterns and forget about narcissists because we have more important things to think about like trying to survive indeed how do i know when to stop forgiving and start smashing skulls um there isn't much room outside of the military for you to be smashing skulls sir don't smash anybody's skulls in unless you think you would enjoy being locked up in a big house eating crappy food with a lot of burly men for a significant portion of your life on this planet if you could use a more human term to describe narcissism what would it be fuck stick are these people stuck in a frozen stress response um it's not the primal response of freeze though that can show up it's narcissistic personality disorder is fight fawn is a fight response with a fawning response they are stuck there is a frozen element to them which is their vulnerable feelings are the their true self the vulnerable self from childhood is frozen behind a mask um, of aggression and manipulation and uh, all those vulnerable feelings have died um, so there is that element there that is that is frozen Callie says would you consider a video with a rehabilitated healed narcissist I would not being in a codependency support group is a good idea <laughs> that's a question because you stuck a question mark on the end uh, it could be I don't, I don't know how do I stand up for myself without me feeling like I'm being perceived as a be a, a bitch and be a leader without being seen as controlling or bossy um, well don't stand up for yourself but don't be a bitch about it um, and be a leader but don't be controlling or bossy right and you go well that's not much of a fucking answer you as a woman can stand up for yourself now you it's it's about intent and boundaries and emotion so say a human stands up for themselves let's take uh, sex the sex of the human out of it for a second so a person stands up for themselves and they're being brave and you go that's good when are they being a bitch when do they cross over into being a bitch like what's a bitch i i would say a bitch is when you're going over the line like you're now not standing up for yourself you're being vindictive you're saying things that are mean that are catty you're deliberately attacking the person the the person it's an ad hominem attack um i was going to say it's the same as being a bastard but a bastard doesn't really imply that a bastard is just being harsh so whether it's a male or a female being a bitch where you cross over into being a bitch is when you get nasty and it's never necessary to get nasty when you're standing up for yourself it's it's you just you don't you 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 know you could you could be standing up for yourself right the way through to using lethal force and you can still remain dignified you can still do what you need to do and not and you know it just becomes a thing that you do so that's an internal boundary that's a problem um when you want to be a leader you shouldn't be bossy as a leader so let's look at the word bossy when somebody's being when somebody's leading what's a good leader like 
if you see me as a leader, where are the good traits of me being a leader? And you go, well, he's good at this, good at this, good at this. And you go, when's he a bitch? When's he being a bitch? When's he say stuff and do stuff I don't like? Okay, he does that, that, and that, I won't do that. When is he bossy? Oh, he's bossy when he says this and this. Okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna avoid that in me. You can, you could do it with me. You could do it with other people. Anybody you've seen in like a leadership role. Bossy again is drawing outside the lines. Bossy is like abuse of power. Bossy is you're asking people to do stuff that you could do, but you don't want to do. You just want to boss them around to the, for the enjoyment of the ego. So in both of them, ego has uh, slipped in. Overt narcissist is obvious, and red flags go right up from the start. What are some early signs of covert narcissist? If they're good, there should be no early signs. You would you'd not see any early signs in covert narcissist. That's, that's what makes them so dangerous. Um, you might feel a few things are off. And generally speaking, as soon as you feel a few things are off, that's when you should be like, whoa, okay, we need to deal with this. Okay, a few more questions, and then I'm going to call it a night. When is working on yourself enough? Hi, Maria. Good to see you. Um, enough, as in you've done enough? Uh, you'll know. You'll know. You won't have the same questions keeping you alive anymore at night. <laughs> is guilt the ego's last resort? One of the easy questions at the end, homie. <laughs> is guilt the ego's last resort? Uh if you mean like according to the Adlerian school of psychotherapy where you are pushing if you buy into Adler and I do now I did like very very convinced so if you buy into his concept of life lies and you believe that actually a lot of what we do we're doing to avoid responsibility and we're doing because we just don't have the courage to do what it is we really want to do then guilt would be the ego one of the ego's ways of tricking you into not so you would tell yourself a life lie like i'm not leaving my girlfriend or i'm not going to split up i'm not going to end the relationship i have with my abusive mother because i feel guilty and it's actually like nah you're just scared so it's not the last resort but it is like one of the lines of uh, of um, things that they would do thank you for uh, sending more money um i i was like don't as, as soon as i said don't send me money people are like oh i have some money have it have it i'm fine seriously i'm fine we all know people who need it um i'm not it's not it's not posturing like there's people struggling for food so you give me a tenner you give me 50 dollars or something there's probably people frighteningly close to you right now who are looking at their kids going how the fuck am i going to feed them next wednesday night do narcs start arguments more when they see you are in a good mood? Yes. Uh, so, well, let me, uh, let's not, because this could become like an infographic that goes up on Instagram. It's not so simple. Uh, let me say it like this. They definitely choose their moments. And you being in a good mood could be a sign of individuation, could be a sign of you moving away, could be a sign of you waking up and leaving them so they have to pop that balloon. Do they realize what they're doing? Or is it unconscious? Um. Our consciousness is not that clear cut. So yes and yes. Yes and yes. They're unconsciously compelled to do that, but they're not unaware of what they're doing either. Do you think narcissists and psychopaths deserve to have human rights? Of course. Of course I do. Of course I do. You've got to remember that narcissists and psychopaths were children once as well. Um and this is childhood trauma. Narcissism and psychopathy 
is childhood trauma. It is a defensive response to trauma. It is PTSD. It is CPTSD. So absolutely, they deserve human rights. Um, it's a mental health issue. And whilst at the moment I remain very, very cynical about any attempt to do standard therapy with them that doesn't, is not fully immersive. Um, and I've said this many times and I'll say it again. Like if you wanted me to do therapy with narcissistic psychopaths, I would be like, okay, open up a black budget and waive their human rights um, because I need them in a totally controlled environment where I'm daddy. And it would be like, well, it couldn't just be me. It depends on how many you give. So if there's 20 narcissistic psychopaths, there needs to be. So I get cloned in this bizarre scenario, the sci-fi scenario. I get cloned 20 times and then they um, have their every element of their life completely controlled by me in an abusive manner until semi-abusive. So I would be like the cult leader. I'd trauma bond them to me. I'd be abusive and then kind, abusive, then kind to infantilize them back to childhood. I probably would need to use psychedelics. And then I would hope to reparent them back from childhood, back to adulthood. And I'd say, God knows what it would cost. It's completely illegal. Um, you're probably looking at six or seven years, six, seven years. And it would be like at the end of uh, the Christopher Nolan film, The Prestige. Once I've done my magic trick, somebody's going to have to go and shoot 19 of me. <laughs> and we'll all be arguing, going, I was the original one. I was the original one. <laughs> Don't shoot me. It was him. He's a, he's a clone. He's a clone. He's a clone. So uh, in other words, um, I'm being facetious. It's a joke, ladies and gentlemen. All of what I just said was a joke. <laughs> all of what I just said was a joke. Um my facetiousness is to point to what I believe to be true. And this, this is a good point. This is, this is something that I, I probably will, will, will wrap this session up. It's not like a phobia. It's not like I don't like the color red. It's not like I'm allergic to the sound of people chewing. This is a full scale annihilation of the ego in childhood so it is very systematic long-term pronounced abuse that child goes to hell and stays there and is raised by demons and then they are just released at the age of 18 out into the world and narcissism like you take narcissism and you have somebody who's vain and annoying and abusive. And you take a psychopath and you go, wow, they're extremely fucking dangerous. They could club a few people to death, but we they also tend to have low impulse control and they're not that bothered about not getting caught. So they tend to have end up in jail. The problem is we don't live in the age of the narcissist and we don't live in the age of the psychopath. That's passe. We live in the age of the narcissistic psychopath. It's extraordinarily dangerous because it's like a virus that's mutated and gotten stronger. So the psychopathy, the desire to mash people's heads in and, and rape and kill and steal all the money and burn the village, when that side of the person comes up, the narcissist side, it's like dissociative identity disorder, slides in and goes, no, not now. 
later. Let me just charm the villagers first. And then we can do it at four o'clock in the morning and we won't get caught. Where the psychopath would have just gone, burn them, burn them, drink their blood, and would have been killed or caught. The narcissist side can take over. Similarly, when the narcissist is doing their thing, and they get to a certain point, they're like, God, I really want more fame. I really want more power. I really want more narcissistic supply. And if I did this thing, it would kill a bunch of poor people. Ah, fuck it. I won't do that. The psychopath comes over and goes, wait a moment. Just stay there. Just consider the possibility that these people don't need to live anymore. They're already poor. Just let them die. Order the drone strike. Order the drone strike. Order the drone strike. So it's really fucking dangerous. It's a total erosion of ego boundaries. So the non-joking side of it is, unless you take the client back to childhood, no, I don't buy it. I'm not buying it. That, that there's a cure for narcissism or psychopathy. And even if you did, like take my crazy sci-fi scenario, probably what you would have if it worked, let's say, my style, my way of doing it. There's a 30 to 40% chance that it worked. You know what you'd have? You know what would come out the other end of that? They wouldn't be fully formed normal human beings. They would be smiling, happy, emotionally regulated, fairly dull, fairly empty-headed uh, uh, cult followers. They'd be my marketing team. And that's why I have all those people kidnapped on the ground right now. <laughs> They'd be like, yeah, Richard Grant is really cool. He's really, and they wouldn't be abusive anymore and they wouldn't do it, but they would have also have been through an ego wipeout at the age of three, then another ego wipeout at the age of 45 when they get sent against their will to my re-education camp. And then, and then after two hardware wipes, supposed to build them back up you know we're, we're getting into like just don't fucking abuse kids how hard is it just fucking don't abuse kids how hard is that um never say never i'd never say never i've always got hope and and do remember that some of these things do take place on a sliding scale but if somebody's all the way gone them, they're all the way gone, man. They're all the way gone. They're not only totally resistant to therapy. This is the literature. It's published literature. Therapy makes them worse. Therapy feeds them. Therapy allows them to practice. Therapy give, gives them high-grade, 100% Colombian narcissistic supply. There's an empty room with one paid professional adult who's just fascinated with them because they have a rare personality. I'm like, oh, it's, there's so much naivety in psychology, so much uh, what Sam Batman uh, uh, calls malignant optimism. Psychology, if there's another field that has more malignant naivety in it, please, uh, more malignant optimism and naivety in it, please somebody tell me. Because psychology is by far the most ludicrously naive um, subject. Of course, people who are in their essence criminals and exploiters of course, they're going to criminally exploit the therapeutic process. Of course, they're going to. Don't be so fucking daft. I'll take one more question and we'll call it a night. Hazer, Mamad Zaid, can they be cured with spirituality? Oh my God, no. No, 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 no. You pour spirituality on a narcissist, gasoline on an open fire, my friend. My God. There is so much 
opportunity for abuse with religion and spirituality. I mean, unfortunately, the narcissistic and psychopathic worldview sits right alongside the zealot, hardline, fundamentalist religious view. To the extent that I would say you can you can map the traits and you can put them one on top of the other. Um, so if they're a hardline fundamentalist zealot, psychopath, and if they're a hippy dippy Californian pseudo spiritual virtue signaling vegan po oh, sorry <laughs> poser, uh, then you've got a narcissist. And so yeah, no, there's no cure. I think they would they just eat it all up. There's nothing wrong with veganism. I don't care what you put in your mouth. Just don't bore me with the details. Abdi Aziz, I am 22. I know I have the typical NPD. I want to go through the cold therapy. Can I achieve total wipeout of NPD? You can, sir. Yes, you can. Yes, we can. Yes, we can. How, how do I reflect on how I may have changed as a result of toxic relationship? Narcissist fleas. So that I'm not dysfunctional afterwards and can repair my other relationships that have been damaged. Um, I, there's a book uh, called Extreme Ownership, and it's by a Navy SEAL called Jocko Willink. And um, I loved it when I read it. I was doing a tour in America, a, a tour of America, not a tour in America. God help me. A tour of America, uh, like a lot of different major cities. And um, I really like listening to him sometimes. Um, and his style is very sort of reflective and it's in your face um and what he would say immediately sprung to mind which is you asked me how do i self-reflect on how i may have changed as a result of the toxic relationship so that i'm not dysfunctional afterwards well willing style you must self-reflect on how you've changed how do you self-reflect maybe write a list of the ways in which you've changed as a result of the toxic relationship and the ways in which that's made you dysfunctional or could make you dysfunctional and the ways in which you could repair your relationships that have been damaged. Face Me says, where do you live? I'm not telling you where I live, but I know where you live. I know people who know people. Samantha Wright says, how do codependents know when info gathering on narc abuse has become avoidance? Well, huh? It, it's all avoidance, really, because it's avoiding crying and going, oh, my God, I wasted my life. I thought they loved me and they didn't. I'm in the process of writing a book. It's taken a worldwide global fucking lockdown to get me to the point where I sit in front of my laptop. I'm busting out 2,500 words a day, homies. And um, I'm because it's a book on narcissism and recovery from narcissistic abuse, recovery from CPTSD and codependence, I'm going to put it out there. But I'm also telling more of my story, which I don't really share on YouTube because I'm not comfortable with it. But I'm happier doing it via a book. And um, I have to go through like the stories of, of, of this stuff. And um, there's an awful lot that we will do to just not look at how bad it was and how bad the position we are in is. But you've got to take an assessment a cold-hearted detached military style assessment of your current situation before you can get out of it so take stock of your life from where you're up to be brutal tell the truth to yourself to other people write it down just go okay this is what i lost this is what sucks i put on weight i got addicted to this i don't I, my self-esteem is like that 
I wrote, I released a video from um, the UCLA seminar called uh, My Girlfriend Beat Me Up or My Girlfriend Beat the Shit Out of Me Spiritually, where I sit with a woman um, and she's telling me how bad our last relationship was and she's still in tremendous pain. And I could see it and I was like, would it help to just for you, for you to hear me say that my ex-girlfriend beat the shit out of me emotionally? She beat me. She whipped me. I think if she could have made me die or John or said something that would cause me to commit suicide, I genuinely think she would have considered that a success. She destroyed my self-esteem. She destroyed who I was, so on and so forth. And I went down this road and the woman in front of me, um, it was on instinct. It was like an instinctual thing. I'll try this because it was a seminar. I was like, well, see what happens. But because of that empathy where you hear somebody else's story and it matches your story, it caused a shift in it wasn't a happy shift like she was she was crying but that's what life is after abuse you will cry it, it hurts it's 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 gonna hurt um but the crying is part of the process and the crying is part of you escaping from the oubliette the dungeon that you're cast into the feeling the feels is is uh is gonna help you to strengthen and to release from it so all info gathering is avoidance the only thing that's better than info gathering or that's going to get the job done is grieving. That's what emotional literacy is. It allows you the space to become fluent in your emotions and to grieve in a way that is organic and safe and comfortable for you. Oh, Michael G. I'm just going to ask for you. Michael. Michael G. My super chat. <laughs> My super chat. Do you think the psyche is mechanically coherent? Or is its goalposts moving day to day and you can never figure out its mechanics? This is your question or what? What is this bullshit? Um, well, uh, <laughs> do you think the psyche is mechanically coherent? Are you a 24-year-old philosophy student? Do you think that this kind of question fucking matters? <laughs> I'm just joking, my friend. I am just make joke, Tavarish. Do you think the psyche is mechanically coherent? Um, in order to work with the human psyche, we must pretend that it is um, to the extent that we're good. We're following in the Freudian model. Um, we're treating people as though they have an illness. We're kind of acting like pseudo doctors following uh, a pathology, the spread of a disease, a mental disease. So we must act as though there's a mechanical coherence there. So we have something to hold on to. These things are called models. Models are maps. Maps are not the territory. You then go on to ask, are its goalposts moving day to day and you can never figure out its mechanics? So you've created a, a, a little bit of a binary there. It's either this or it's that. There is a coherent model. There are coherent uh, mechanics. Um, but within those coherent mechanics, it's not like, well, maybe it is like a virus or maybe it's like any disease. Maybe they do change. The goalposts probably do change based on Similar things, probably like genetics, like it didn't manifest in this person, but they're a fucking alcoholic and it did manifest in this person, but they are a fitness freak and that's caused. Da, 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 da. So there are there are coherent me mechanics. Um, but let me be careful here in order to do my job and in order for other people who do similar stuff to me to do their jobs, we all act like it's more coherent than it really is. But I 
I don't know how untrue that is of medicine. I'm sure medicine has a lot of vague areas in it where they're like, well, we don't really know, but we'll act like it's coherent so we can do something instead of just standing around going, but, but I've lived the experience of um, having doctors standing around me going, but I'm very lucky in that regard. I've led a weird life. Um, I once got a, a peculiar, but not unheard of by any means, brain injury from doing martial arts where my the, the sack around my brain had split and there was a, a fluid um, coming out. The fluid around your spine and your brain is highly pressured. And uh, if anything splits, it leaks out. And um, I was very concussed. And I had a New Zealand uh, neurologist there. And he was so confused by what was going on. He brought in a street. This was a university uh, hospital in London. He brought in streams of students. So there's streams of doctors in white coats looking at me going, can you feel your legs? We can feel his legs. Are your fingertips tingling? His fingertips aren't tingling. Can you smell weird smells? <laughs> it just went on for hours. So there, there probably is like mechanical coherence plus shifty goalposts. So yeah, there's mechanical coherence. I adhere to like uh, some of the Freudian models. You'll hear me talk superego, ego, and id interjects. Um, these are these are things that I find useful, but I don't overattach to them. I'm aware that the maps and that we can get caught inside of maps. It's a good question, Mikhail. I'm sorry, it's towards the end of the hour. I'm feeling frivolous and silly now. I'm probably going to start torturing people I can feel outside of me because it is it's coming up. The the, the days of uh, the, the moment for, for seriousness, I think, has passed. I think it's like um, that Reich, is it Wilhelm Reich cycle? The, is it the orgiastic uh, cycle where there's like tension build up, orgasm expression, and then everything goes quiet again, and then tension build up, orgasm expression, everything goes quiet again. Um, beep, 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 beep. Richie, now you should do that world, all of it, off music or something nice on. Maybe you're tired for the book, but you too need to relax to fill you with positive vibe. Take care. Thank you, Ziva. Why do they yell, scream, and rage and break things, but say that you can't have a rational conversation when you are crying? Um, it's gaslighting. They're emotionally dysregulated. They're gaslighting. And um, this is standard operational procedure for them. Yeah, I've had a doctor say they can bring in my colleagues and see their opinion. It's like WTF, Marty Stankowski. But that's healthy, right? I'd much rather that. This, uh, the Kiwi who was dealing with me, he was, he was a cool guy. He was into martial arts as well. And he was really honest with me. He was like, I don't, I know, I think I know what's happened here, but there's, there were some symptoms that had showed up and he's like, I'm not comfortable. They did an MRI scan. They, they, the plate, apparently you have a plate behind your nose and that was broken. I had hairline fractures from the front going all the way around the back. Um, and I said that the, the, the sack had, uh, had sort of split at burst. And he was like, I've seen, I've seen this injury over here and this injury over here, but I've never seen this combination of injuries. I'd much rather that. They just go, we don't know. And then I said, can I leave? And they're like, no, you have to stay here. They made me stay in there for 24 hours under observation just to see if I would do something interesting. I didn't. When's your book coming out? Oh, these questions, they are uh, last year. Hmm. Definitely, it was coming out last year. Never quite happened, but it was supposed to be last year. Um, I would think 
the way I've got my head around this is like the Leonard, Leonard Cohen lyric, forget your perfect offering. There is a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in. So it's falling prey to perfectionism. And I read books recently um, that people had highly recommended. That I thought, shit. And some of them were just badly written. Uh, and I was like, God, this is obnoxious to read. I'm really having a rough ride of this as the reader. And I was like, I'd definitely do better than this. So it's my first attempt at like, a, I've written other books before. I've uh, written books on narcissism, short ones, and, and some on martial arts. So it's my first attempt at a full-length book. Semi-autobiographical, got stories from my own life in it, and it's going to cover everything up until now. It won't be the best book that's ever written, and people will read it, and they'll probably get value for money out of it. And that's all right, isn't it? Pay five quid, seven quid, you get a nice book, you read it, you learn a few things, you have a bit of a laugh, and you go, thank you very much, and then it's done. Right, ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much for your time and for your attention. Please stay grateful for everything that you do have in these times that we're living through. Remember what I said in the beginning, the challenge right now is about courage. And there's an opportunity here to claim personal sovereignty. Nobody can do it for you. Don't try and set up communities. Don't make it about mass movements. It's you with you with you. You claim it. On the point of forgiveness that I started out with, forgiveness, is absolutely necessary if you want to move on with your life. Doesn't mean that you that you forget about it or that you absolve the other person. It means that you accept fully what has actually happened and you accept all of the consequences and all of the costs right up till today. Thank you very much. I really do appreciate you sharing that time with me and I look forward to speaking to you again tomorrow. Cheers.